0: Box Spots and Chair Shots, and people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Bosh Spots and Chair Shots on all platforms to make sure we're and here on box Spots and Chair Shots, one of the hottest podcasts out here, definitely from the spotlight, on the savage representing a takeover, Spots and, and Chair Shots, just Savage. Hello to all my people, and if you're watching live, checking us out on YouTube, or listening on your favorite podcast provider, you are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch, Pods and Share Shots. We have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but if not, we'll sprinkle in some gimmick matches, or Bobby Mac, you know, so we still get over. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and I'm glad to be on this journey, and tonight that journey is our favorite gimmick matches. Remember, here at Botch, Pods and Share Shots, we call it in the ring from all the angles. Joining me tonight, as always, my co-host extraordinaire, the Bonnie to my Clyde, the Hova to my Beyonce. He is the Yellow Shoe Guy, and now he comes with a disclaimer. And with that I say, the opinions of the Yellow Shoe Guy do not reflect those of the Smack Draw Podcast Network or bots Botch, and share Shots. Everything he says is on him and him alone. Bobby Mac, how the hell are you, brother?
1: Another episode rated Y for Yellow Shoe Guy. I am excited about this, uh, excited about tonight. Uh, I am so excited. I, so this thing is gonna be so hot that I'm already sweating. It's not the fact that my AC has been out in the middle of Texas for three days.
0: So what's going on in Texas, man? Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. I heard you and, uh, saw you complaining about the fact that your AC is out. How does your AC out when you've been living there for like 10 minutes?
1: Uh, dude, it was out 10 minutes before I moved in. That's why I was delayed moving in this beautiful complex. Let me just tell you about it. If you read the internet, make sure you read the disclaimers, um, artist rendition and future development because guess what that's what this place is the laundromat that they had this beautiful picture of it's coming soon the eight swimming pools they'll be here soon too basketball courts yeah you know there's nets in the picture but no not here um so yeah wherever they took these pictures at i would love to go to i'd love to live at because that's where i thought i was gonna be but i'm not
0: well as i like to say let's get to the meat and potatoes shall we I don't really have a I don't have a response to any of that, man. I'm just gonna can play along. I uh when I was in Knoxville, uh I lived in a, a fantastic little town I'm sure you've heard of called Seymour, Tennessee. Um I was there and during the heat of the summer last summer, uh right before I got sick, my air conditioning went out and it would be like eighty degrees inside at night. So I could only imagine like it's your own slice of like your own personal little slice of hell there, Bubba.
1: Yeah, dude, 90 degrees. Um, Last night, I was able to open up the back window, so I've got two windows, one in the front of the apartment, one in the back of the apartment, and no cross breeze, so yay for me.
0: All right, well, let's uh, get to the meat and potatoes of it. Uh, Gimmick matches. Uh, There's not really a a flow or a chain of event. I was just going to say, let's just talk about it. My first input was Uh, When I looked at this as a whole, I thought about, I went back to the hardcore title scene in the Attitude Era. No count out, false count anywhere, anything goes, hardcore matches, like that that hardcore title scene, which was the original concept for the 24-7 title where it could be defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anywhere possible, as long as there's a ref present. So looking at it like that, do you think you would go back and you would prefer having the hardcore title in place of the 24-7 title right now?
1: Yeah, I think the 24-7 title, it started as a joke title and it just continued that way. Um, With the hardcore belt, at least it started, you know, yeah, it was kind of a joke to Mick Foley from Vince McMahon, but they were able to turn it around like hardcore Holly, even though he's kind of a joke character, he made that belt like something special, kind of like what Ron Killings is doing with 24-7. But just in a much different way. The Attitude Era, then the you know what it is now is a lot different. Um, I think they could present the belt better, but it's it it's crap. It it needs to go away.
0: You're just not a fan of the 24-7 title at all in any capacity?
1: Well, I just find that the people that go for that belt are declassified from you know mid-card to, you know, basically, you know, jobbers. They're enhancement talents at this point. Um, The guys that are going for it. When you look at the hardcore belt, you know, with Holly, for example, even though he lost most of his matches to main eventers, you would still consider him and those guys serious. And it seemed like they took that title serious, where this one is just a joke. Even with Patterson and Briscoe winning it back in the day, the hardcore belt. Nowadays, I think Briscoe is a, I think, was it Briscoe that won the 24 7 belt, uh, if I'm not mistaken?
0: um, Briscoe does have a reign. So does Mayor Keith uh, Glenn Jacobs, not Keith Jacobs. Mayor Glenn Jacobs of Knoxville also has a reign. Is twenty four seven champion. I think pretty much anybody ever having to do. I mean, Gronk was twenty four seven champion at one point. Uh, so I think everybody has had a shot to to hold that title. I think right now, not watching Raw week over week. I think Akira Tozawa is the current twenty four seven champion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did see it on Monday, and I uh, saw him win um, over uh, uh, the Snuka's daughter,
0: Tamina. Tamina.
1: Nobody's Mina.
0: Nobody's Mina than Tamina. Um, so looking at that, uh, one of my favorite hardcore matches from the that era wasn't actually a hardcore match. That was Royal Rumble 1998. That was the year a couple big things happened. It opened with Chainsaw Charlie versus Cactus Jack. And then later in the match, uh, Mankind made an appearance. Then even later in the match, Dude Love came in at like 28th or 29th. Uh, I always think about this when I think about gimmick matches because it's already the Royal Rumble, which is a gimmick match. And then you put that on top of it, and the first 10 participants are these like hardcore champion, like hardcore style uh, participants. What do you think about like a match like that where the Royal Rumble adds an extra gimmick by implementing some of the hardcore stuff?
1: I didn't really think much of it. I thought it was cool with Mick Foley coming out, you know, the three faces of Foley being out there. I thought that was, you know, that was legit. Um, But I, you know, I didn't really catch as anything else. It was, you know, at least the game card guys, the hardcore title guys, um, an opportunity to shine. And speaking of shining, right now, will I just want to say welcome to all the people watching us on TikTok as live as well. Uh, first or second time ever. Welcome Fox to the,
0: live on two mediums. Welcome to the the TikTok crowd. I'm going to pull that stream up on my phone as well, so I can make sure that we're uh, participating in all of it. Um, well, you're not in it. Well, I'm not in it at all. Well, I can. Well, fine. I, don't, I think they can hear you. Uh, the last time I was in it, they could hear us. Um, okay. Cool. So when we go a little bit further from the gimmick matches, we get out of this uh, false stout, false count anywhere style stuff. We get into like your street fights, your Texas death matches, uh, those a little bit more uh, extreme matches. You think about um, some of the the birth of the brawling and stuff from some of the territories in Mid-America, Memphis, Detroit, uh, even wisconsin surprisingly had uh i know you see that look that's me doing homework bobby mack uh had a a little bit of a brawling scene, people like Abdullah the butcher coming through when we started to see a little bit more advancements yes i'm drinking a yoohoo uh when they we started to see a little bit more advancement of the uh the brawling style um what do you think about the uh those style like street fights texas death matches that kind of stuff bobby mack
1: you know i think if you look at puerto rico as a territory like that was what that entire entire territory was about in the '70s and the '80s. Um, the hardcore style, those type of gimmick matches, you know, Texas death matches, you know, famously done by Stan Hansen and Abdullah the Butcher, Bruiser Brody, uh, Dusty Rhodes, uh, if you will. Um, they all, you know, really did hype up the Texas death matches. It, Texas death match back then is a lot different than what you see now um, with Virginia's own Adam or. Uh, What's his name? Virginia's own uh, former AEW champion.
0: Hangman Adam Page. How can you... We literally just did a review on Double or Nothing. He was in the main event. How can you... That's off-
1: how over he is in my mind. And he- it's it's embarrassing as a born-in-Virginia person to have a Texas deathmatch. Why would you be the master of a Texas deathmatch when you're from Virginia?
0: Because Virginia deathmatch just doesn't have the same ring to it, Bobby. Kill the virgin. How about that? Moving right along, uh you know, when when I think about Texas death matches and stuff, I don't necessarily think about people like Adam Page. Though I go one step further back when you think like Georgia Championship Wrestling, some of that stuff. I think about like the epic battles in the early '80s between like Terry Funk and uh, uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So like with some of the stuff you were talking about, some of these style. Like you can see these gimmick matches dating back, and these death matches and uh, Texas death matches dating all the way back to the early 80s. And what I like about it is this is something that you and I catch a lot of flack for because we see and we hear wrestling now, and we get people say things to us like our views are outdated. But when you look at the way a death match fell in 1980, it was the buildup of the story, funk, you know. He had uh, the buildup with him and the rivalry between Rhodes. They start having skirmish sure. matches. They start doing house shows. They start building it up. Then when you get to the point in the story where it's a Texas death match for the title and you've had multiple weeks of build, multiple months of build, even a pay-per-view or a house special or two, like the street fight became a spectacle. Now when you're just giving away street fights for free on Wednesday night TV, a lot of the spectacle of building to a Rhodes and Funk style Texas death match is gone when it's just Adam Cole, Adam Page death match Wednesday, or Adam Cole, uh, you know, or whatever it was, the the Good Friday death match. You see what I mean? Like you reach that point where it loses a little bit of that spectacle when you see this stuff every single week.
1: Yeah, I agree like 100%. Like, and the thing too is the guys then, like Dusty and Terry, If you had a street fight, a Texas death match, they dressed like they were getting ready to go into a street fight. It wasn't, you know, their best jeans or their nicest, um, you know, costumes or nicest, you know, uh, uniforms out there. It was the guys were dressed for a fight and they didn't wear their tights. They went out there because they knew that they were going to get beat up and bloody. Like, look at the another gimmick kind of ties into it. Look at the bunkhouse stampede matches, the bunkhouse Royal Rumbles, um, the bunkhouse stampede matches themselves. You know they were fights, and you know one of the worst Rocky movies is Rocky Five when he's against uh, Tommy uh, Tommy Morrison when they had their street fight. Rocky didn't go and put on his red, white, and blue trunks, and Tommy didn't dress up like a boxer. They fought in the clothes that they were in, and that is a street. That's a street fight, and that's that's I think what we lose now. Now just because we don't, we're not used to seeing blood. They think that if they just put some blood in a street fight. That, oh my gosh, that's extreme. That's, that's what the people want. But no, let me, let me feel like you two hate each other. That you've gone so extreme that you want to beat each other down to where you can barely move. And the thing I loved about street matches back in the day when they were called unsanctioned. And if you listen to that unsanctioned, what they would do is they would do this match last. And they would literally have the ring announcer come out of the ring wouldn't announce the match sometimes they would go as far as to shut off the lights and then turn them back on because they wanted you to feel like this is something that the company doesn't want to do but it has to as an obligation to the performers in that ring and that's what I really like was those classic street fights that made me think these two are kill each other
0: it always makes me think of last year in AEW twenty twenty one. It might be twenty twenty now, I'd have to check the dates on it. It was the Thunder Rosa Brick Baker lights out match. It was the unsanctioned street fight. Thunder Rosa got the, the, the win on her and it was a wild, bloody street fight. And they did it the old school way. They waited till the end of the card, lights down, lights came back up. They did the fight like with the house lights on. They made it try to look as unsanctioned as possible. And uh, I really thought that was kind of cool of him to do. That was a really cool effect to, to go there. And when you see that, you see a lot of the what we were talking about on our Double or Nothing uh, review. When you see booking like that, you see a lot of that tradition that comes back. From the, the South, traditional southern style of wrestling we were talking about. Some of the stuff that came from Georgia in the 80s. And it came from Texas in the 70s. Uh, think about it like that. When I see stuff like that, it almost feels like a nod to the old days. Even as silly as it sounds, when I go to an independent show... And I see them split their entrance ways to one side or the other, so it still gives you that feel of the hills coming out of one room and the faces coming out of the other. It kind of splits that together. Like, I I applaud a company like that when they do something that well. Uh, Asking you a question now based off of that question... um, do you feel like AEW is exploiting the amount of blood they have on the screen right now do you think they're making it more hardcore and making it more pg-13 for the views and for the likes and for the you know the the streams and everything else do you think they're pushing the limits for that reason or do you think they're telling a story and every story just happens every guy gets juice
1: I think there's two train of thoughts to it. One is the fact that these, most of these guys in AEW are independent guys. And when you go to an independent show, you will see blood. The guy that you see the blood from the most is probably the rookie or the veteran, because the veteran from, you know, the eighties and nineties that are still around, you know, now, I guess, two thousands and 2010s that are still around. They all bleed, um, the bleed, Uh, The young rookies feel like, you know, oh, that's cool. I'm going to do something extreme. I need to bleed a lot uh, to make my girlfriend happy because she's one of the 10 people that are in the crowd. So you got those two trains of thought. You also have behind the scenes Jim Ross, Arn Anderson, Tully Winchard, Jake the Snake Roberts, all guys that had spent time in the WWE, WWF, but had grown up in Mid-South, grown up in Georgia, grown up in the NWA, Mid-Atlantic, Sting is there as well, even though he doesn't bleed. Um, so you got all these old school thoughts. You got all these new school guys that have grown up with old school guys in the locker room. So yes, there will be blood. So I think that's where AEW is. The one thing that AEW does though, they go excessive blood. Like when it's a soft match, you can tell these guys really bladed versus where somebody might get punched and you might just have a trickle of blood coming down your face. These guys are like Ric Flair been in a war with Dusty Rhodes, full-on Gordon Soley, Crimson Mask type of deal. Um, it's funny, though. You just mentioned a hardcore match with uh, Thunder Rosa um, and Britt Baker. Unknowingly, or maybe knowingly, I don't know, that was a gimmick match back in the day, a female match. That was considered a gimmick match because you would only find one of those on maybe one card a month or one card every couple months. So that's an interesting thing that you know they took what was considered a gimmick match back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And now they've they've grown and they've made it into this new gimmick match. And I do like that formula that WWE is doing and AEW is doing is, you know, do I think it should be on the same card as each other? No, but a Royal Rumble for females, a Royal Rumble for males, um, you know, the uh, Hell in the Cells, all that kind of stuff. I like that the women are doing it. I just, I do wish that WWE would separate Two, I don't need I don't need two Royal Rumbles in one night, but I like that they're using it as a as a great gimmick for both both uh,
0: sexes. So I'll use that as a segue into one of my other questions for you. Um, we're we're going to talk about things like ladder matches and steel cage matches and stuff like that. But I'll go ahead and ask you this question: A lot of people have seen and said that things like Money in the Bank, TLC, uh, Hell in a Cell, Elimination Chamber, a lot of these matches don't necessarily facilitate the need to have their own pay-per-views because when you do that follow me here you kind of shoehorn yourself into a gimmick match meaning that whether the two stars at that point for your world title so to speak uh are going in a hell in a cell match those two guys might not be able to tell a good story in a hell in a cell match um So when you look at it like that, i.e. Roman Reigns and uh, Rey Mysterio, for instance, two guys that they actually pulled the match for the world title from the pay-per-view and put it on SmackDown the Friday night before instead of letting the, the match happen on the pay-per-view. Remember when they did that last year or the year before in the Thunderdome uh, leading up to the Hell in a Cell and they pulled the Ray Roman match? I feel like that's a perfect example of when you shoehorn yourself into a position where the match has to be, um, it has to be a Hell in a Cell match. And now, whether or not your champion and your competitor can perform in that match, you have no choice but to do it. Uh, so do you think things like Hell in a Cell... Uh, Money in the bank, the TLC ladder match. Do you think these things need their own pay per view? And follow up question: Do you think that these pay per views should these pay per view style matches? You're hell in a cell, blah blah blah. Do they need to be part of a story and not the other way around, where they're forced to be part of the story?
1: Yeah, 100. The um, you know, it's uh, there's a famous podcaster, former manager uh, that lives in Kentucky that does this. And he talks about the first, um, the first big stadium show in WCCW, uh, the Memorial for Kevin bon Erich, And it was, um, you know, so big that it needed a stadium. The second year, when they tried to do the show again, it was a stadium needed a show. And that's what I feel like these pay-per-views are doing now. There's no buildup to a hell in a cell. It's just another match. Um, I remember, and, and this isn't new, like this isn't new at all. If you look at the WCW Jim herd days, um, they had a scaffold match to try to build ratings and PN News. And if you don't know who that is, you don't need to know because he's a nobody. PN News was in this scaffold match, a main event style match. Um, I can't even remember who the opponents were at this time, but it didn't need to happen. They were trying to, they were trying to pop a rating and hell in a cell. Uh, money in the bank well maybe not so much money in the bank hell in a cell um you know all those type of pay-per-views that are around this formula to me just doesn't work like i like the fact that every now and then an elimination pop up at the royal or uh, at um survivor series because it fit like this was a survivor type of match um and it was kind of going back to like what the old uh, original survivor series was alike um i don't feel like Hell in a Cell should be um, prostitutionalized. Did I say that word? Yeah, you're shaking your head yes? Okay, good. Yeah,
0: you're fine. You can go ahead.
1: This is audio, by the way. Um, So, uh, you know, I I feel like like they shouldn't prostitute those matches. Royal Rumble started as a prostitutional match when it started, and it should always be that way. Like, it's what draws that pay-per-view or um, network special edition, blah, blah, blah. I'm never going to get that right. Uh, premium that, live event. Premium live event. Okay, that's my next tattoo. Um, that that to me, like the Royal Rumble, that to me is a gimmick match that need that it needs it. That show needs it. WrestleMania doesn't need it. Um, you know, it's nice to have a Money in the Bank match. I think on WrestleMania, I think that's I think I liked when they were doing that because then you got to see who the next challenger was sometime within that year. Um, I like the fact, like, gimmick-wise, Survivor or SummerSlam used to be a tag team match. It used to always be a tag team main event the first couple years of that. I like that that was a gimmick, but it wasn't pushed as a huge gimmick. Survivor Series, I like that it's a gimmick. Teams of four, teams of five strive to survive. But to have these blow-off matches, like, that started, like, again, Hell in a Cell, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker had nowhere else to go. Foley Undertaker, nowhere else to go. Triple H Undertaker, they had to go in a match so violent, so crazy. The Elimination Chamber. So many people were coming after Triple H originally. It he he had so many people going after his belt and so many contenders. There was only one way to take care of that match. Um, help me out. What other what other pay per views am I missing? Money or TLC? There you go. TLC. That doesn't. That that is that belongs to the tag teams or single competitors that are high flyers that are in a major blood feud like the originals. You can talk about uh, the Dudley boys, Edge and Christian, and of course the Hardys. Um, That doesn't need to be, I don't need to see that as a spot fest on a pay-per-view. Again, that you're going to have a male version and a female version and probably even throw in one or two more. It It takes away the special part of it. Like to me, again, I feel like there should be an all-female pay-per-view every year, and I think it should be gimmicked up from top to bottom. Have every one of these matches, but make sure you've got a year because it's a year of building up to that major pay-per-view for the ladies that are going to feature every one of these uh, gimmick matches. And I guarantee you the numbers, the buy rate, or at least the
0: watching on the network will be through the roof. So moving right along on my list, I'm going to move into one of my personal favorite gimmick matches, which is the steel cage. There's tons of reincarnations of this. Uh, let's kind of start at the original one. Uh, some of the earlier, not the original steel cage mats by any means, but the, uh, the original early days of the steel cage match. One of the first ones that come to mind for me is Flair versus Harley race. When Flair had his first, it was his first title ran where he beat race in the, it was his second. You, see, that's why I keep you around, Bobby Mack. His second title reign, when he beat Race in the cage to win the belt. When you think about it then, they were still so early. It wasn't two guys in a cage match. It was two guys telling a story in a cage. Because yeah, the, was- the biggest move in the match was the crossbody at the end that he won the... And you think about this. He won the world title with a crossbody off the top rope in a cage match to get the one, two, three. Thinking about the things that we see regularly in cage matches these days. You see what I mean? So talk, think about the first early days of the cage match, and then we're going to progress through the different versions of cage matches and some of that stuff.
1: Yeah, like, you know, even earlier, look at Snuka in Morocco, Madison Square Garden, uh, famously Mick Foley's in the crowd. Um, Snuka goes to the top of the cage unheard of. And these are, the, these are cages that are literally fences like this is go to home depot go to aisle seven and buy that put it up around the ring and you know what guys you've got if you're anybody's ever been on the ring crew, you've got about 10 to 15 minutes to put this cage up and if you notice those cage matches in the nwa early wwf days there are people around the ring literally with their hands on the cage trying to support the structure um so it's it's insane um so those old school days, Jimmy Snuka to go to the top, it's not like today where the cage drops down from the ceiling and you know it's all safe and you've got all the footwork. Like it, it's bigger than the outside of the – it's bigger than the ring like up there, like on the outside to be able to stand and jump. These guys are standing on a fence. Like I dare, I dare anybody, especially children, to go outside when they listen to this podcast and stand on their fence.
0: Once again, I reiterate the fact that the opinions of Bobby Mack are those of him and him alone. Please do not go outside to your fence in any capacity and try to do Superman, Superfly Jimmy Snuka wrestling dives off of your fence. Do not listen to Bobby Mack. Um, so when you think about some of the, the different versions of the cage match, Bobby, uh, one of the ones that always gets brought up in my head is the three-tier cage match. And there's been a couple different versions of this match that have both been successful and not so successful. One of which was one you and I talked about before. Uh, you sent me the, uh, the, the YouTube video of it. It was the one from the 80s, and you'll need to, to recheck it for me and get it straight. But the first one I want to talk about is the ridiculous one that WCW did based off of that movie Ready to Rumble. And uh, uh, a friend of the show, I can say that now because his episode dropped, Mr. Vince Russo uh, was one of the producers there. And he catches a lot of flack about his role in that movie as a producer. What do you think about crossover things like movies using gimmick matches and then making wrestling look bad by making it cheesy?
1: So you're going after me because I'm a Hulk Hogan fan and no holds barred, right? Is that what this is? Is this a is this an attack piece?
0: This isn't a setup yet, but just uh let's talk about Ready to Rumble first, and then we yeah. can get into the horrific stuff for Hulk Hogan.
1: Yeah, um Ready to Rumble. Um, God, what a it's a terrible movie. Um the gimmick, I'll tell you what, the movie did the match better than the guys doing the match um in the live audience. Like I was I was actually surprised because usually it's the other way around. Um I know like Stallone famously uh, defended Terry Funk back in the day against the um, actors because they were making fun of him for being a wrestler. And Stallone you know, said, you know, this guy goes out there and does all these stunts in front of people live with no redos. Um, this match needed a redo. Like, it was awful. Um, and it told a terrible story. It had a terrible outcome. Um, even David Arquette says that he shouldn't have won the belt. Uh, but how do I feel about it? I feel like now that the door is so wide open on professional wrestling and sports entertainment, uh, predetermined that it doesn't matter anymore. Um, you know, if you do bring up no holds barred, it mattered then because it was like, wow, I was like, I just I in Friday uh, get knocked out by, or knocked the F out by ice cube. Um, and now he's, going for the wwe championship WWE championship against hogan um so yeah i think as the years have progressed it's changed more and more uh there was a movie called mickey and maud you'll have to look that up with dudley moore and it went into the locker room and it showed andre the giant and big john Studd together before the wwe or wwf uh, whichever one um you know time so you didn't know but Later on, that these two were going to be major enemies. I think it was made in '82 or '83, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So they hadn't started their major feud yet. But then looking back, you're like, "Wow, like you know, what did this expose? Uh, If Savage ever would have come out as whoever he played in Spider-Man, I would have bought it because at that point in time, hey, you know what? Vince McMahon's already told me that this is all you know predetermined. Uh, But yeah, back in the day. I think there would have been some major ass kickings by the hardcore Ole Andersons, Arn Andersons, even Ric Flair's, uh, Jim Cornett's that would have seen this, and Jim Cornette wanting to kick this Vince Russo's ass that would total shocker there.
0: Um, just looking at the chat, we've got a little bit of activity. Allison says maybe not. Uh, if they took the time to build up more of their women's roster, they could have another all women's pay per view. Kyle chimed in and said, correct, but it's a matter of major companies shifting their entire focus for at least a two to three month run to build for it properly. But WWE and AEW aren't interested in doing that. Uh, I agree with both counts. I think they need to build up the uh, their female rosters some. Um, I also feel like they could use more TV time to feature female wrestlers. But at the same time, that opens the argument we've had a thousand times, Bobby Mac, about how... You've got a 150-person roster between your male and your female rosters, but you only have three hours of TV time, two of time, two hours is live, one hour is taped. So when you break it down between 50-50 split between man and woman and blah, 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 and you start doing it, the very limited amount of time they have for each roster spot seems minuscule enough to build these long-term stories. And we've heard people on our show say time and again, that that is one of the biggest things that's missing from modern professional wrestling is storytelling. Um, So they think that if they could build it more with the women, they could. Uh, Kyle also had something to say, which I'm going to use as a segue. He said there's been no bigger cage move ever than since Rikishi did a splash off the top of the cage on Deval Venus. Um, So let's move right into that as Bone saw you got three minutes me, with me. Yeah. Uh, let's let me, talk about some on, of the let me, bigger let me bumps. say one thing about that. Okay. Uh, the, the female and the thing. Yeah. I think if WWE or
1: AEW saw enough money in the female talents, they would push them. And I think WWE, for example, they headlined their biggest pay per view ever, WrestleMania, longest pay per view that they've had, with a women woman's main event. I feel like they. If there's value in the person, if there's value, doesn't matter, man, woman, uh, short person, whatever, they're going to put the money in that person and they're going to invest the time in that person. And they did the same thing, what, last year or the year before when it was, or year before, when it was Bianca and Sasha that headlined that, one, that uh, first night of WrestleMania. I don't think WWE, WWE doesn't see the sex as much as they see the dollar sign. And I think that's what a lot of people need to get, you know, and understand is just like, again, and I've said this before, as much as it's probably not, this is another rated Y thing. Um, women's soccer players don't make as much money as men's soccer players. Women basketball players don't make as much money as men basketball players. Um, the, you know, the Bikini League of football doesn't make as much money as the NFL because it doesn't draw the money that those places do. Can they draw? Yes. But they're going to need their Michael Jordan. They're going to need their Hulk Hogan. Uh, they're going to need that person, that Richard Petty, to get that up in the Danica Patrick, she was great in NASCAR, but she wasn't the face of NASCAR for very long. She was talented, but when she started not winning races, she got knocked back down. So yeah, I think all these companies are looking for that dollar, and they don't care if it's a men, man carrying them across the finish line or a woman uh, carrying across the finish line. It's the fact they want somebody that's going to make them money. 18 inches, that's what they got to fill.
0: So... Uh, Allison says she was terrible in NASCAR. There was no value in John Cena until Steph caught him rapping, got him to shine in the right place at the right time. Uh, absolutely, Kyle. Uh, one of the, uh, the other friends of the show, Jeremy Prophet, was on an interview that I did. Uh, his article was just recently published on Last Word on Sports. Uh, just a little plug there for the, uh, the employer. Uh, check my article out there, but what he said was it doesn't matter Who's on TV isn't the best wrestlers. His point was people who were on TV were at the right place at the right time with the right amount of talent in front of the right people. That's how they got on TV, which is exactly what Kyle is saying about John Cena. He just happened to be at the right place at the right time with the amount of right people. a talent in front of the right people and that's what it took for him to be successful and for him to be found and jeremy was adamant about the fact that he said he's seen this time after time again that you can almost see it in the american independent scene how wrestlers can just they get lucky almost compared to some people because they trip into a role because there's a big promotion out of their hometown or because they just happen to do uh, enhancement chat or enhancement talent for a local AEW show and somebody got injured so they got bumped up to a TV spot versus just a dark match. Like you hear about this stuff all the time. The old the old homage of always have your gear because you never know when somebody's gonna need you to work. Like this is one of those perfect examples of that because you, you see a lot of times in wrestling specifically, the more you talk to actual talent in the ring, there's a lot of people that stumble forward in this business because they're in the right place at the right time.
1: Yeah. Look at, look at anybody that's been on American Idol. Like I think, you know, Kelly Clarkson, um, Underwood, you know, they were struggling um, on the indie circuit in a different industry. They got their big break by going above and beyond. And they put themselves out there on a videotape or send it to the right person and they got noticed and then they shine once they had that spotlight and i feel like that's what wrestling does as well you know you meet the right person you get in there you can shine or you can fail and your shine might not last very long like look at ronda rousey look at becky lynch um you know look at that six person um main event you know Charlotte's doing something else outside of wrestling. You know, she got married. Congratulations. Wrestling's not her main focus anymore. Becky had to leave because of the baby. Now she's back. Let's see if she can get her shine back. Um, Rhonda, same thing, left for the child and left for personal reasons. Now she's back. Does she want that shine back? So you've got these three ladies that main evented WrestleMania within the past five years. If they want that main event spot back, they're going to have to do as much. That they did then now or even more to steal that spotlight back because i'll tell you what roman reigns was not our favorite for a long time and now i dare say roman reigns is one of the guys that i watch wwe for
0: big shout out to roman reigns hi roman uh, not that at all am i assuming he watches the show but uh oh, you know mind. i uh, i don't ever i i hate bringing up the c word my one year anniversary is coming up bobby you realize that, right? June seventeenth. Yeah, June seventeenth is the one year anniversary of my diagnosis. Uh, but Roman and I share a, a rekindling brotherhood in the fact that we have the same type of leukemia. Uh, so I uh, mad props to Roman because I know the struggle of what it was like to do the chemo regiment, but to watch that man do it and then come back to wrestling ring shape in as quickly the amount of time he did it, like did I finished he in February. It as well? Yeah book together i would love to write a book with roman reigns about having cancer how cool would that be do, do
1: you have a whole box of crayons or no
0: uh well i don't I've, I've graduated from crayons bobby see i use pens and paper now
1: nice nice See, one yeah. of those, like, those really cool pens with the uh the red the blue and all the black and all that on the top that the, the white and the blue one the remember that you can click it's got like a circle
0: Oh, I remember. I was I was gonna say something about being old, but I remember those pins very vividly. Those were always like the coolest pins ever. Um, we should write an entire episode. That's what's your favorite pin? With that pin, we should with write that with pin, him. that right, that right there. That's proper long term storytelling and wrestling. People, oh. this is what you need on your television right now.
1: Lacking nowadays. You okay. know, ever since you talked to Vince Russo, man, you're like on a whole new level.
0: Dude, I, I'm telling you what, like, I don't know what it is. I uh, One. One. Genuinely going to say this, okay? Okay, bro. Okay, listen. I'm going to say this. That man catches a lot of flack because of what he did with the wrestling industry. The more you talk to him about it, and granted, I've had two real conversations with him, one on the record, one off the record. Both times, to me, all it sounded like Russo was doing was he was just trying to do his job, which was to get as many people to watch his show as possible. Like, that's all he was doing. So I know he, there's a lot of questionable things he booked and a lot of questionable things he did in the business. And I told, like, in the episode, I made it a point to reference the fact that I wasn't taking away, I wasn't taking a side for between him or Cornette because he referenced my... uh my Cornette figures. And, you know, I told him I was like growing up, I was a Cornette fan because I remember seeing him ringside and being with his tag teams. And then as I got older and more invested in the business, I started learning about the booking side of it and seeing what him and Russo were doing by the late nineties. So I told him I was a fan of both sides, but I think Russo catches a lot of flack because they don't like the way he did it. And people don't realize how toxic the IWC has been, if you go all the way back to before the IWC was a thing into the 90s, when he was getting death threats sent to his house over the things that he was booking on TV.
1: Yeah, and I'm not going to, you know, we don't need to dwell totally into Russo, but at the same time, I, to me, the Russo era um, in WCW was a lot like when Vince popped up on uh, WCW TV on TBS. Uh, it wasn't what they were used to. And even, you know, even when Hogan came over and Savage came over and the WWE invasion happened um, in WCW, there was a lot of flack. And it wasn't, I think the WCW, NWA audience, that's when, that's when wrestling died uh, for them. And the audience that WCW built back in the day, you know, back in the 90s, I feel like those were WWE fans that were not invested in new era um, the, that, that era of wrestling, uh, the Bret Hart era, and this isn't a knock on Bret or anything like that, but you know that new generation era, they weren't, they weren't into it. So they left, the new generation is the one that developed the next wrestling fan, the next young wrestling fan. And it might be that my generation of the NWA, the WWF back in the 80s and 90s, maybe we're, we're just that dying breed that's now off of professional wrestling. And the people that are out here now, I feel like the WWF people that were fans of the Attitude Era and stuff like that, they've switched over to AEW. And now WWE is trying to rebuild a fan base like they did with the next generation. And they're just not doing it as well because the characters not are not as compelling as what they were, if that makes sense.
0: Uh, one of the other comments in there, I'm just going to stream by and uh, start uh flowing along is the rikishi thing jumping off on val Venus on top of the cage match what are some of your most memorable bumps you remember seeing in some of these cage matches since we're still on the the cage match segment of the episode
1: yeah i'm not going to mention the, the foley one even count um, uh,
0: we haven't technically got to hell in a cell but uh we obviously we can't have a gimmick match conversation without bringing up hell in a cell i feel like so we'll eventually get there so you don't have to necessarily bring that one up if somebody if some, one of the other ones come to mind
1: Yeah, Jimmy Snuka going off the top with Morocco. Um, You know, I wasn't a fan then. I didn't know anything about wrestling then. I don't even know how old I was at that point in time. Uh, But the fact that it inspired Mick Foley, the fact that it inspired uh, so many people. And if you watch that jump nowadays, it's not really that big of a jump. Um, And it's also like the way Morocco protects himself. Like if you watch it, it it really exposes the business to us people that now in our generation watch you know, in 4D, 5D, whatever. Um, it, it looks bad. Uh, but some of the cage matches, uh, Orndorff and Hogan, obviously, that match when they climbed over the blue cage at the same time and dropped we, we, at, we, at we, the same we, time we, and hit we, the we, feet at the same time, brilliant, uh, brilliant way to further that stipulation. Um, flare race, great match. Um, the I quit match, which it combined two uh, gimmicks, with Magnum T.A. and Tully Blanchard. That's a Stargate. hat on a hat. Man, that that was a hat on a hat that needed a hat. Uh, like, it was just impressive. Like, that's one of those hats that if you're a Tennessee fan and you're a Florida State fan, you take the time to cut a hat in half and sew it together and make it look really good, um, which is what we do every week here, folks. Um, so that match, uh, phenomenal. Um, another cage match that I really liked um, – was ronnie garvin and rick flair from starcade as well uh again that match like flair uh race ended with a flip uh jump off the top rope sunset flip um or i'm sorry the cage match didn't but the match where ronnie won the belt did the following time when the cage match ronnie tried it again and then flair was able to get out of it so it told a really good story in that um Other cage matches, really, you know, Dusty, I'm I'm trying to think of the newest stuff, but like it just, it brings me back like Dusty going out there and saving Flair against the Russians uh, when he had that, when Flair had that match against Nikita Kolov, bless you. Um, That was huge. Like the match wasn't as great, but it was a memorable experience because Anderson's run out, they beat up Dusty, Um, you know, they turn heel. It's
0: the first, you know, exposure of the four horsemen. Um,
1: I don't know, what's some of yours?
0: uh kyle says that abdullah the butcher was executed inside a steel cage so i asked him to elaborate because i like Abdullah the butcher he said he was fried in an electric chair i'm sure bobby knows all about it bobby can you elaborate on what he's talking about this is live mind you so this is exactly yeah. what we're seeing bobby
1: what so happened kyle, to abdullah the butcher yeah so kyle was talking about a wcw gimmick match where the cage was electrified um so the guys the, the object is is to get a guy in the into this electric chair, climb up to the switch, pull the switch down and electrocute the guy. The problem is the match starts, the switch pops down. It falls down without anybody touching it with nobody even going up there. So referee Tommy Young famously had to climb the cage. He actually, there was a fire on top of the cage. So Tommy Young, if you don't know who Tommy Young is, you're missing out on a real referee. Um, Tommy Young went up there, uh, he, this is actually one of the falls that uh, caught him and uh, pretty much ended his career in ring. Um, Tommy Young saves the day, protects the business. Uh, Abdullah has to go in this seat uh, eventually during the match and pretend to be electrocuted. So, Billy, um, really, is it dumb? Yes, it is. Uh, but Paul Bearer also got buried in a concrete, uh, I don't know, casket, box.
0: That's one word for it.
1: Yeah. So, um, dude, it's wrestling. We're here to have fun. Like for some reason, I'm thinking if I get hit enough after getting beat up for 20 minutes, I might not just be able to start shaking with adrenaline and be able to pop and win.
0: Um, okay. So specifically speaking on steel cage matches, uh, you mentioned flare race. I mentioned flare race. No need to touch on that one. Um, I always think when I think cage matches and I know this is going to sound bad but for some reason I always think of somebody like Shane McMahon because I always think about these guys that climb up really high places and jump off so we've watched him drop the elbow off the top of Hell in a Cell, we've watched him take big back bumps off the top of the cage against Braun Strowman a couple WrestleManias ago um, when I think big stake still cage matches like that um, recently We opened a Raw Bobby Lashley versus Omos with a steel cage match. And it goes back to that old man on the front porch screaming, get off my lawn mentality. But it's like, why? Why are we opening a Raw with a steel cage match? That's like playing poker with somebody and going, I have a royal flush as soon as you get dealt the cards. There's nothing, you can't go anywhere. There's no money to be made when you start a match like that.
1: Didn't a- or you start a show like that, like didn't AEW just do the same thing?
0: Uh, I don't, man, I'm really bad about this and I apologize. I know Kyle's in the chat. So it's like, I, I it, it's admitting to not doing your homework when you know the teacher's about to, to hear you say it. But like, I'm so glad that a lot of our content doesn't rely on me to watch the current product week over week, because I really like being able to go on Hulu or go on, you know, uh, wherever it is and fast forward through the nonsense. I don't want to watch and be able to fast forward through the stuff that I don't care about. Like the Hulu,
1: what are those books? What were those yellow books that you could buy that had the synopsis of, the novels you were supposed to read in school.
0: See if I could get like a one hour AEW for dummies every week where it was just like an hour long highlight reel of what I needed to see from AEW TV, that would be dope. Like somebody needs to do that. Cliff notes. Allison says cliff notes and I went AEW for dummies. Of course I was kind of, she would go for the more professional one and I would go for the one that made me look like an idiot. Um, I but think I, the Dummy
1: series made a lot more money than the other one.
0: So a lot of people are giving uh, double or nothing flack. Uh, you're good Your goodwill. that's why RN and I are around thank you see this is this is what I'm talking about we're really finding to find our niche you know what I mean Bobby we can be the old guys now we can just sit here and admit it like we begrudgingly got on video we didn't like yes, I
1: will never admit that I'm old
0: dude you're old and I have to know <laughs> how many like blue and red baseball t-shirts do you actually own just one why okay good because I, uh, you wear one every time we really? do the show. Yeah. Huh.
1: You look at my feet. Guess what color my shoes are.
0: Are you wearing the one yellow one?
1: No, I actually it's the blue pair of Nikes, but.
0: Really? I don't even have shoes on right now.
1: Where are you trying to bring this con- con- like this whole conversation, Will? Oh, there's no, ab-
0: oh, 100%. There's absolutely no way this conversation has anything to do with gimmick matches. But I'm going to sit here and I'm going to go, the Elimination Chamber, Bobby. We think about wearing wear my
1: gimmick shirt.
0: You're wearing your gimmick shirt? I wear a wrestling t-shirt like seven days a week. If you see me outside of here, I'm wearing a pair of blue jeans or khaki shirts with a wrestling t-shirt, a ball cap, my glasses, and a cardigan. 365 and a quarter days a year. So the Elimination Chamber, 2001. Uh, When you think about big cage matches and where they went and where they came from, uh, this is one that always has to get brought up. Everybody's seen the uh, Ruthless Aggression documentaries. They talk about it. Oh, he's going to get messed up, blah, blah, blah. Um, What do you think about that style of cage match?
1: The Elimination Chamber, originally, I liked because there was pain involved. Um, There was legit pain involved. Like, you knew when a guy hit that floor around the ring, like it, it was going to hurt. Um, obviously not safe for the performers, but as a viewer, it's like, wow. Um, it also, it got me hyped up because I don't know if you know this, I'm an old school NWA guy. And they, this was Triple H's version of War Games. Like this was the closest that Vince would go to War Games without actually doing a double, um, double ring War Games match. So that was exciting. The guys that were in the match were perfect for this match. You had high flyers. You also had true professional wrestlers. You had sports entertainers. It was a great combination. As it has progressed, it's gotten more and more watered down. Um, I know Kyle mentioned Rikishi in the splash. When I think of Rikishi on a cage, I think of that awful hell in a cell where he fell into the pile of hay. Like, that's my vision of Rikishi falling off a cage. Like, that's what I instantly go to. Um, and I feel like that is what war, or that is what, um, Elimination Chamber has turned into. It's gone from Mick Foley on Hell in a Cell to Rikishi on top of Hell in a Cell. And I feel like it's lost its luster and it continues to lose its luster. I think the only way to get it back, eliminate the pay-per-view like we talked about earlier, um, and then bring it in as a true... Um, grudge match for five or six guys. Um, Cause now, now it's like Royal rumble light. It's whoever didn't win the Royal rumble and get that main event spot for the one belt. Now they go to the elimination chamber and they get the spot for the other belt, but they don't just, they just don't sell it enough.
0: Looking at the chat. Kai says double or nothing's worst crime was that it's not one of their best pay-per-views. AEW is like NXT black and gold. Their bar is set so high due to their past shows i said i agree great show just a little long allison says more than a little long a few of the matches should have been on dynamite Um, i love when
1: allison says that say it again allison
0: Allison. what it was more than a little shut up bobby we are 52 minutes 37 seconds into the episode and bobby has now said something inappropriate um i agree i think a couple of the matches probably could have been uh Kicked off maybe a to uh, dynamite. I said the Darby Allen Kyle O'Reilly match could have been as well. Uh, that's a good segue. Uh, side note: I broke down the spot on a throwback recap and made it back sense for that truck to be there kayfabe wise. Uh, Who said that? Kyle did. Oh, I can't, I'm, not,
1: I'm not watching the chat.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, you should be more active, Bobby. We actually have people watching tonight. Uh,
1: oh, sorry. Next time.
0: Next time, indeed. Um, elimination Chamber for me, uh, I always think of the highs and the lows. I think about uh, RVD almost killing Triple H. That's always something that came, uh, comes to mind. I'll plug a past episode for you guys. Um, I did just go through and update a ton of audio stuff on both the Smack Raw podcast network and on the Botch Bots and Share Shots Uh, channel as well follow both of those channels if you don't already do so anywhere you do anything on the internet i know i'll say it in my plug then but i'll say it now also Big plug for my boys Kyle and RN. Uh, They're doing great things over at The Rewind. If you're not having a chance to, take a second to watch them. They usually stream on Sundays or Monday nights. Uh, They do a weekly recap of what's happening in pro wrestling. So he's absolutely right in the chat when he jokingly says that's what him and RN are there for. And he's absolutely right because those guys, in the sense that Bobby and I get classic wrestling... Those guys really understand the product now. So that's why I'm selling the SmackDraw Podcast Network as a whole. Because between the two hosts and the two co-hosts, we have a full gambit of knowledge here. We really are the the whole package. So make sure you head over to the Patreon and, you know, donate to the SmackDraw cause. Something about a plug, but I'll say it again later. Um, We've got some activity. Bobby's in the chat. That's cool. Um, So... Uh, moving right along, you brought up war games. Uh, we've done a whole, and once again, I'll plug a whole uh, chapter. By the way, Bobby, I'm going to pa- pause right now. I'm going to take a second to say, Congratulations, my friend.
1: Why? What did I do now?
0: You and I, this is our 50th episode. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow, one for every year that you've been alive.
0: How old do you think I am?
1: Uh, well, if it was 50 episodes and you've been alive for every one of the year that you've been there, I'd say 50.
0: Um, I'm 36 and you're at least 48. Um but that's neither here nor 50 episodes man congratulations I went through oh, today yeah, Congrats that's awesome. I, was, I uh, thought it would
1: get canceled after 5.
0: Uh well There's
1: nothing to cancel. I'll keep trying,
0: man. I'll keep trying. Well, you've almost got us canceled a few times, but not as in a network canceling, but just because of cancel culture. Uh, But somehow myself or Allison have swindled our way out of this to to keep this podcast going. So congratulations on 50 episodes. I put a...
1: Like Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try, so I will just keep doing
0: and uh, so once again, make sure you follow everybody in the SmackDraw Podcast network. Uh, since joining, we have this will be our 21st, uh episodes on smacked raw since we've joined them we've started doing videos and lives and we've always been a strong audio based platform but joining up with these guys and kai coaching us along a little bit teaching us the ways of video and live streaming has really like opened up a whole new gambit for us so this isn't a uh there's no free shout outs here on botch bots and share shots but seriously give my boy kai a fucking follow he's really doing things also Follow Allison at Just a Girl 918. Those are the brains of the operation that is the Smack Draw Podcast Network. All I do is play video games and talk about wrestling. Bobby Mech, moving right along. Let's talk about ladder matches.
1: Um, ladder matches, you know, you can go back in history. You can watch, you know, Junkyard Dog and some of the first ones at Stampede. Uh, continuing on, you know, Bret Hart did some uh, early WWF days, Stampede days. Uh, obviously, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, put it on the national level, the national spotlight. Um, you know, they continue to grow, they continue to prosper. At one point in time, you would say the ladder was just part of the match, and now the ladder has become the match. Um, one of the most brutal ones, I would say, was the one uh, with the Hardy Boys and um, um, what is it, Morrison, uh, Eminem. Um, when that ladder, you know, hit that guy's nose, uh, it was just, it, it was unbelievable. Like. the the carnage that you saw um, and the idea that, you know what, this is dangerous. Like this can really hurt somebody. Um, I think ladder matches, they do go very extreme sometimes, uh, but Bubba Ray, who's famously uh, scared of heights. I love watching that TLC match where they're stacking the tables outside and all that kind of good stuff. Bubba. And I believe it's Matt are climbing to the top of the ladder, uh, getting ready to get pushed over. The entire time while Bubba's up there, if you have a trained eye and you watch, Bubba is placing his feet perfectly. He's putting his hands perfectly. He's looking at the fall on the table. He looks back at his hands. He readjusts his feet. He looks back at the table again. And when he's going, you can tell he is scared to death. And he should be, because I wouldn't do that spot to save my life.
0: One of my favorite stories about that spot is when you watch him talk about it anything backstage-wise. He'll talk about how when they climbed up to the top of the ladder, he realized that from their positioning, they were going to overshoot. So if you watch, he actually takes a step back down because he knows if he climbs too high up on the ladder, he's going to overshoot both tables and go straight to the ground. And on that spot, they don't come flush. He hits that second set because there's four tables, two sets of two. And the way they're set up is... uh, He goes over the top, and he goes through that table, breaking through it, instead of hitting the first one, if that makes sense, the one closest to the ring. He almost overshot anyways. Excuse me. So uh, watching the bump happen, you see him go over the edge and almost overshoot it anyways. Uh, That TLC2 match is full of famous bumps. Uh, The Hardy Swanton off the 25-foot ladder through, uh, I think it was Spike at that point, Spike and Rhino maybe on the side of the ring. Uh, there's the, uh, the big table bump with Christian and spike, the deadly death drop going out of the ring over the top rope. And he goes through there, uh, the big spear. Where Edge is at the top of the... Yeah, some of the best bumps in the industry came from that match. And when you talk to a lot of people, it's one of not only their favorite gimmick matches, but a lot of times a lot of guys will tell you this is one of their favorite matches of all time because of the story that the six people told. And then it eventually developed into nine guys. Because Spike came out for the Dudleys, Lita came out for the Hardys. Rhino came out for Edge and Christian. And Christian got the win at the end of the match because Rhino picked him up on his shoulders and climbed the ladder with Christian on his shoulders. And you see that live happen, and you're like, holy crap, man. Like That match told a story that involved a lot of furniture and gimmicks, but didn't make the furniture be the only thing that it was talking about.
1: Yeah, if every hardcore match could follow this blueprint, I don't think anybody, including like a cornet style would complain about hardcore wrestling because these guys not only went out there and did spots, every spot meant something to the match. Um, it, it made sense. It's not like today where you see a six person tag and somebody gets hit, like just by a punch and you don't see them again for like five or 10 minutes, not even standing on the side of the ring. They're just hiding this match. When Bubba and Matt went to those tables and they were out of the match for five or 10 minutes, it made sense. They had to sell the injury. Um, so yeah, this is, I think that's one of the greatest storytelling matches. I'm not a huge, you know, hardcore guy or that, you know, that fan base, but this match is definitely one of my favorites, probably a top 10.
0: Uh, another, uh, ladder match that everybody talks about the money in the bank ladder match when it was its first incarnation. Uh, Chris Jericho was actually the first person to bring it up. He put himself in the first match, but refused to be the person who won it. And then edge who won historically won the first money in the bank ladder match discussed how he didn't want to be that person where, uh, it's a, uh, what's it called? Uh, he, he didn't want to be a gimmick wrestler where every time you thought about WrestleMania, you thought about Edge, you thought about ladder matches, you think about this kind of stuff. He was like, I didn't want to be that guy. And then him getting the Money in the Bank ladder match and then getting it to cash it in, ultimately using it as one of the biggest heel tactics in history. Like, you think about the story they got the told based off of that match. Uh, those are some of it. Uh, Rollins, a few years ago in New York. Uh, when he cashed it in at the end and he cashed it in on Roman Reigns for his uh, Money in the Bank moment. Like when you see some of these guys that have stretched it out and have been able to take that contract and make it last an entire year worth of stories. Big E just recently did it where he was showing up on both shows, waving it around. I feel like Money in the Bank is one of the few gimmick matches that have proven to facilitate the need to have their own pay-per-view because the build-up to what that Money in the Bank contract represents Is huge because it's one of the few times where you get that, and then it kind of starts that ticker on the road to WrestleMania.
1: Yeah, kind of like the Royal Rumble is Money in the Bank is a gimmick match that has an outcome, you know, beyond what it is as a match. It's not a in the feud match, you know, it's not a classic, you know, ladder match with two guys that are battling over the same belt or held the same title or, you know, whatever. Somebody got suspended, some weird thing. Um, Or, you know, where the classic ladder matches back in the day were, you know, where they had weapons on top of the, you know, top of it, almost like a pole match, which we didn't talked about uh, tonight. Um, You know, I'm not talking about Judy Bagwell on the pole. I'm talking about like, you know, real things on the pole that you could use in a match. Um, So I think that, yeah, I think money in the bank could survive as a true pay-per-view. The problem is I think WWE this year specifically thought they were too big for their britches and tried to book it into an arena. And now has since pulled that out to, or sorry, not arena from a stadium. Yeah. The stadium show.
0: They're yeah. They're canceling the, uh, the Allegiant yeah, yeah. show. The only, they pulled that stadium show. So the first big stadium show of the summer is going to be SummerSlam, uh, which is awesome because I love the fact that it's in my backyard. I cannot wait I've never been to a live pay-per-view. This will be my first live pay-per-view event. I've been to a ton of house shows. I've been to a ton of TV taping, SmackDowns, Raws. I've been to Dynamite and Rampage now. I've been to NWA shows. Like I've seen so much live wrestling, but I've never been to one of the big pay-per-views. And not only is it going to be the biggest, but it's the second largest pay-per-view of the year behind WrestleMania this year. The rest of the stadiums, Aren't going to be as, like, it's going to be the biggest, the second biggest behind WrestleMania on American soil now that they've moved money in the bank from Allegiant Stadium. So I'm hyped about having uh, SummerSlam in my backyard. That's huge.
1: Yeah, no, I think mean, that's great. Like, uh, in comparison, I've been to WrestleMania in New Jersey, um, and then I've been to Royal Rumble in Miami Arena, a um, bunch of Rawls, a bunch of, you know, house shows, uh, TV taping, stuff like that. Back in the day, God, the old school TV tapings. I was literally there for like three and a half, four hours. Three brother love shows, three weeks of professional wrestling, all filmed in one night uh, with the main event. I think was Rick, or no, the main event was uh, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning versus Hulk Hogan. Wow, look at that. In um, for the live crowd, it was amazing. Uh, it was actually perfect and never lost on television, but how shows he was losing to Hogan all the time. And this was one of those matches I was like, I didn't realize, you know, that Perfect wasn't undefeated. So I thought I was watching Mr. Perfect's first loss. And I remember as a kid, like, that was just incredible. But, yeah, dude, Will, you're going to have an amazing time, um, especially with the Fan Fest and things like that. only thing I recommend, you got to get there early, early, early. Because every actually, it doesn't even matter. You're going to be in a line no matter what. Just be well-energized.
0: Uh, it's funny that you say that because we have a freaking – stacked event that weekend. Um we are also going to be at Starcast. Uh so the Saturday of WrestleMania. Are you watch
1: Flair's last match?
0: Yes, we're going on Sunday to see Flair's last match. We are absolutely going to be there. This is the uh, Botch Botch and Chair Shots uh leak. Uh Botch Botch and Chair Shots will be covering Rick Flair's final match live. Uh, so we're super pumped about the opportunity to do that. We're not exactly sure what level of... Uh, Allison says, I told you this, Bobby. She, you should pay more attention when the boss speaks. Um, we have an opportunity to cover it live. So we're going to do that. Hopefully, Allison will be able to get at least one of the cameras in so we can get some cool stuff for the website. Um, but that weekend, so it's going to be... Friday before SummerSlam, we'll be going to StarCast to do the fan experience there. We'll be going over from the fairgrounds to the stadium to do the SummerSlam fan experience, then doing SummerSlam. Then Sunday, we're getting up going back to StarCast for more of the the fan experience, then doing Flair's final match that night with the main card that Sunday night to close that festival. Uh, so we've got all of that stuff going. Also coming up for Botch, Bots, and Share Shots in June, uh, we have uh, linked up with Ross at Impact and have secured uh, media passes on the 9th and the 10th uh, for Slammiversary. So on June 9th, June 10th, we will be uh, doing in-face person-to-person interviews with Impact live on site leading up to uh, their biggest pay-per-view of the year at Slammiversary. So we've got tons of stuff coming right now down the pipes for Botch, Bots, and Share Shots. Uh, I don't want to keep divulging too much and keep uh, going away from the the topic of conversation. I have a few more gimmick matches that I want to touch base on before we sign off, Bobby. Uh, the next one on my list is tables matches. I always feel the opportunity to bring these up because the Dudley Boys are one of my favorite tag teams of all time. Uh, what do you think about tables matches and the Dudley Boys?
1: Tables matches and Dudley Boys. Um, you know, Devon get the tables. It you know became a staple. Uh, you had Mae Young going through tables at one point in time. Um, so how much damage do you really, you know, assume that it was happening, you know, when Mae Young would go through a table and then the next week she'd be on TV? So um, I think they kind of bastardized the table spot. Um, you know, not as bad as like what Public Enemy did, but uh, it was fun for the Dudleys. It was a good time. Um, the ECW Dudleys and tables were a lot better than the WWF ones, um, but yeah, it's it's what they're known for, you know. When you say Edge didn't want to be attached to the ladders, he wasn't. He was attached to chairs. Uh, the Hardys were the ladder guys. Um, so, you know, it it is what it is. You know, they it, they they created their own gimmick, and I think that's great. Uh, but yeah, it it did it did again water it down uh, eventually.
0: Um, I feel like that's one of my biggest arguments a lot of time across the board for wrestling in general is that when you see these people constantly do these moves and take these bumps and do these spots, there's an oversaturation of what happens on that. So uh, one of them would be uh, a good example of it is uh, the Blood and Guts match in AEW last year. It was the Pinnacle versus uh, the Jericho people, the Inner Circle Uh, the bump at the end of the match was Jericho taking a back bump off the top of the cage. And when he went through the table, it was obviously staged and set with the big airbags and the dust and everything. And it was obviously a bad bump. He did dislocate his elbow and he got an injury from it. But you think about the fact that why do the bump if you're not going to be able to do it the right way? And I'm by no means saying sacrifice your body for the spot, but I'm no professional at production work, but I've done enough to know that if I know an airbag is going to be visible, you shoot that shot from an angle to where you don't see it. Like, I don't understand why this was such a hard concept for them to follow when it came to this, because when you think about it, guys, like, break it down here. If you know it's going to be visible because Chris can only take the bump with these uh, Additions for safety, then don't shoot it from an angle where you're going to have them be visible. All it does is hurt the business if people know that you're not doing it that way.
1: Yeah, it you know it, it turned into a soft spot. Um, you know, going into other gimmicks, you could talk about that. Um, what was that the the ring blow up match that Moxley was in? Um, that was terrible. Like you know, the match was okay, but then in the, end of the match, you got you know, literally somebody walking out there with sparklers. Um, And that's, that's your blow up. So uh, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, that's, that's one of the issues now is they want to, they want to keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, I would rather deliver quality than quantity. And I think that's where Jericho and AEW was, was they wanted to do the quantity. They wanted the big bump. They wanted that big shock value. Um, And I think they got more of a shock value with sting jumping off of a balcony uh, and not even, not even a balcony. As you say, balcony, you think ECW balcony, um, but Sting jumping off that rail onto a table had more impact, I think, with the fans and the fan base than what Jericho going through those airbags did, or what Moxley did with the sparklers in the ring.
0: Come on, that exploding barbed wire death match was legit. How can you come? How can you come out here and say it that way?
1: Because I'm the controversial one.
0: <laughs> okay, um, so the tables match is the Dudley Boys. They're obviously one of my favorite tag teams of all times. So I can sit here and stand for them all night. Um, I recently brought it up in a tag team episode I did with uh, the pair of Kyles. Um, I said that they're synonymous with tag team wrestling, but they were also synonymous with the table matches. Um, so I, I go there. Um, another one that was on my list, Bobby, that I wanted to bring up, uh, Starcade, 1986. It was the, the Skywalkers uh, match. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was your uh, boy Jim Cornette, and it was the Midnight Express, correct? Yeah, the Midnight Express versus oh, the Legion. Of, right on the quiz. Yeah, the Midnight Express versus the Legion of Doom. Uh, in oh a,
1: God, they were the Road Warriors. Please,
0: the they, ro- the Road Warriors. That's it's all the same stuff. Potato, potato here. Uh, but historically speaking, in this match, right. uh, Cornette took the shoot fall. He wasn't supposed to fall off the scaffold, but he did. He hurt his ankle in the process. Uh, lots to talk I'm about. about his It was his knee. I'm sorry. I misspoke. That's why you're here, Bobby, because you, uh, you know more nonsensical wrestling information than I do. And I represent that. Um, so he historically takes a bump, hurts himself. Uh, let's talk about the ridiculous nature as we fold into some of these ridiculous gimmick matches that didn't really need the spot, but did anyways.
1: Um, scaffold match, one of the most dangerous matches around. I I think if I know my history, I believe it started in Memphis, um, where they were famous for crazy matches um, and crazy stipulations. Um, That gimmick match, uh, they're never good because the guys, even if you're not scared of heights, and I'm not scared of heights, I love roller coasters. If you put me on a scaffold that's four feet wide and like 20 or 30 feet above a ring and five or 10 feet under that is the floor and I could potentially fall and die yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be comfortable up there. And, you know, the Big Bad Road Warriors, if you watch them, they're holding onto the rails of the scaffold at the end, barely wanting to come out. And as they come out, they're in, like, wrestling stance, like, you know, like an amateur wrestler. They keep their balance. They keep their center of gravity. Um, you go on later and you see scaffold-style matches, the one famously where New Jack threw the other guy off. I don't even know the guy's name. You son of a you, bitch yeah new jack throws that dude off
0: and he goes through all those tables and all that like faking new jack look bobby man come on tell me you're gonna bring something up so i don't write it on my list and want to talk about it too go ahead talk about new jack throwing him off the ladder go ahead tell me about it bobby you know i
1: don't write anything down and i never prepare you give me a topic and i'm just like okay let me figure that out um yeah so that one new jack boom throwing the dude off the top of that cage like that was that was insane like new jack though legitimately in interviews said i wanted to kill that mfr um and i think he used a different word than M.F.R. um so yeah like it gets like nuts like these matches that legit could kill people um you know maybe we need to rethink a little bit the hardcore matches like the you know other gimmick matches like let's look at coffin matches with the undertaker you know not not a lot there um, on those you know just throw a guy into that Cage match rules change with the gimmick. Sometimes it's pinfall submission uh, if you're in the NWA and WCW. Then later on, it's escape in the WWF, um, you know, WWE. And then WWE changes the rules to where it's escape or pinfall or submission. So, you know, you want to really fight in that match and beat your opponent down to where you can pin them one, two, three. Or do you just want to wait till they're down and then you can run out the door? Um, You know, there's so many variations now that are happening in some of these matches um, that it it really, it kind of like, it again, muddies the water on what they are and what they do. Uh, But yeah, that match, the scaffold match, um, dangerous match, a great match that will sell a card, but in the long run, is it worth the danger to the guys that are in it or girls that are in it? Uh, Cornette's one of those examples, one of the top managers at that point in time, probably their top manager at that point in time, was out for months with uh, a blown knee, um, and then they also lost Big Boss Man because, or Bubba Ray, or Bubba Rogers at that same time because Cornette wasn't there to defend him in the office, and they lost in the WWF. So you know there was a lot of uh, ramifications that happened from that match. Um, that's one of those matches; they're classic that they happened. I guess that they were on a big show, but they don't need to ever happen again.
0: Um, completely agree on a couple of those things. The, I, I joke about the new Jack thing. That's always one of my favorite references to bring up is when, cause what had happened before was, uh, new Jack was taking a bump. The guy didn't, I think it was a power bomb or a leg drop or something. He didn't do it right. Uh, it was no it was something i thought it was something in the locker room that they had an issue with no 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 it was a bump he he gave new jack a bump and what he did was it caused new jack to crack his skull open i can't remember exact bump that caused the injury uh, i apologize for that for not Oh yeah doing... before
1: yeah before yeah before that match happened
0: exactly so the dude issue he hurt new jack new jack missed he didn't like eight apologize. Yeah, and he didn't apologize to it. He was like, man, it's just work, right? Like, you get hurt, it happens. But New Jack was upset that this set him back like eight or nine months in his career. He had to have brain surgery, cracked his skull open, all the injuries. So when he came back and, uh, oh boy, uh, what's his name? Black. Um, what's his name? The guy who runs uh, the the porno promotion out of California, Rob Black. Uh Whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Check Dark Side of the Ring. Look up Dark Side of the Ring, Bobby. Um, Rob Black's promotion. That was the guy who was running it, and they did the scaffold match. That was when New Jack was like, I'm going to kill this dude. And his plan was to get him on this scaffold and throw him off the scaffold out of the ring so he would go straight to the concrete. New Jack didn't anticipate a swing. So New Jack literally talks about the fact that the only reason this dude survived was because New Jack didn't know the physics that he had to throw him further than what he tried to, you know what thank I mean?
1: God, so thank God new Jack wasn't in a match with Owen Hart where he got his neck broken. Um, cause you know, then Owen might fall from the heavens.
0: Bobby, Bobby,
1: New Jack do that? Like, though, like as we're a- an hour
0: and 18 minutes in and eight seconds and Bobby back has now made two inappropriate jokes okay. as you were.
1: Yeah. So I, I watched, I watched the episode with new Jack doing this and I forget where it was. Like he was like, um, it might've been dark. What was that one where he was, uh, he was like applying for like acting jobs and all this stuff. He seemed like a genuine person Uh, beyond the beyond the ring. Right. I believe, uh,
0: are you talking about Dave Arquette?
1: No, no, no. New Jack. It was beyond the mat. Um, the, they were taking him to like Hollywood things and he was being like very genuine, very nice. Um, but then he comes out and he says this, you know, that I'm going to kill this guy for something that he did in the ring. And I've talked to New Jack before. That dude is MFing crazy. Like 100% nuts. Like we talked about booking him in Tennessee. And after the conversations I had with him, which was like two or three that I initiated, then there was like eight or nine or 10 that he continuously called me back and was like, MFR, are you going to book me or what? And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'll do this and I'll draw this. That dude was nuts. Like he was legitimately nuts. He did not belong in anything that had the word professional involved with it. And that might be something that's controversial, but dude, guy's crazy. And to try to kill somebody in the ring purposely, that. That tells you how crazy he was, and how he did not belong in this business.
0: One of my favorite New Jack stories is when he was with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and he was in the uh, the the original Gangsters. And literally, he was told when he first came out, they just looked at him and they were like, "All right, man, this is what you're going to have to do. Okay, we want you to go out there, and we want you to cut a promo. We're going to give you 60 seconds. You're going to get in the ring, and you're going to tell a story." And he was like, okay, what what am I going to, what's it going to be about? And they said, we want you to tell a story that's going to piss off every white person in the crowd. And that's what he did. And that's how New Jack's gimmick got founded. It was just based pure off of the idea of what can I do to piss off a bunch of white people. And it was so over. Even rural East Tennessee in the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Territory. Like, it was so over. He was one of the most hated, absolute hated hills in the business just by the fact that he could go out there. And he was very real in the way when he talked, because he made you believe what he was saying was true.
1: I don't know if, okay. So to me, New Jack is like Superman. That Superman is his true self. New Jack's wrestling persona, that's his true self. When he went back behind the curtain or got on the camera and had to do the professional stuff, like I was talking about with that movie, Beyond the Mat, that was him being Clark Kent. That was him not being true to himself. And I think that's why New Jack had so many issues in professional wrestling. I think I actually, I honestly think the same thing with Sandman. I think Sandman is one of those guys too, that his camera persona is the true Sandman. And the one behind the scenes is him pretending to be somebody that he's not. Um, and I've never met Sandman, but from everything I've read and seen, I kind of believe that true, uh, true too but i don't want us to get in a liability
0: suit so bobby um i lost my train of thought what's going on here what you were talking about sandman yeah i was was i was doodling on my notepad i was listening to you talk and we were talking about sandman yeah
1: Um, so um anyway so other gimmick matches that you haven't mentioned um
0: you know no, 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 no 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 don't divert don't this, this is the point right here, ladies and gentlemen. My fact of the matter stands as this, that uh, I have bad AD, ADD. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's like squirrel, gopher, red light, blue light. And uh, I doodle a lot. And I'm sure when you watch this, you see my notepads. Uh, I constantly take notes because sometimes Bobby will talk and I'll write something down so I remember to say something. And I'm paying attention to what he's saying. And then it's like when you walk into the the room and you forget what you walked into that room for it's like you'll be talking and i'll go to say something and then you'll say something and my brain will just stop and i'll be like what the fuck was i about to say to this man
1: this reminds me of the movie super bad when um the kid got caught drawing stuff on his page Mm -hmm. you know what i'm talking about
0: yeah Um, one of my favorite (laughs) lines in that movie ever is when the kid's like they took away everything that looked like penises. Do you know what kind of foods look like penises? All the best ones. <laughs> Come on, that is <laughs> a good comedic writing right there. Uh, I think Jonah Hill is hilarious. Um, him and the guy who plays the what's the the skinny guy with the the hair, uh, oh, Michael Cena? Michael, Michael, yeah, Michael Sarah, Sina. Michael not Michael Cena, Michael Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, when they were um the, the movie when they all like die. In the apocalypse or whatever that's and, the end
0: uh, mclovin mclovin's also a classic character from that movie yeah,
1: but, but like when sierra's dead or whatever and they tell danny mcbride he's like oh well at least sierra's dead
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love that uh i really wish i could remember what i needed to say about sandman though uh it had to do with the conversation and now i feel bad I somewhere um, I don't know, but I absolutely, for sure, would never forget to bring a towel right now. That's for sure. I don't know why. I can't remember anything about Sandman, but all of a sudden, I just remember to not want to forget to bring a towel. Yep, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Bobby Mack has a towel. Uh, Inferno match. Undertaker, Kane. Uh, some of these classic matches have had fire around the ring, fire on the ring, fire in the ring. Um, what do you think about some of these classic matches that have incorporated fire that could eventually lead to you know death and destruction?
1: Um, Inferno matches were great shows. They're great for video games. Like I absolutely love doing the video game versions of uh, Inferno matches. Um, you know, again, this was this was Showtime at the Apollo. Like this was you know big time. You know, TV production. This was Vince Russo era. Um, this was you know giving the fans you know something that they hadn't seen before. What the fire really did the match, who knows? Like it was outside the ring, it was kind of lame. Um, you know, it was no, the match didn't change other than the appearance behind you know around the ring. Uh, you know, I guess you could plant flowers all around the ring and do the same thing, except for you know, might not be as powerful. Um, you know, but. Yeah, inferno matches didn't do much for me. I did like playing them with the video game versions. Um, I do think that it was it was cool that it transferred to that medium. Um, but you know, all in all, inferno match doesn't mean much. Like it's it's why why are you so upset at your opponent that you want to catch them on fire? Um, it it made sense for Kane, obviously, because...
0: I was about to say, do you, what do you mean? It, it made perfect sense. The whole story yeah. was that the Undertaker burned him alive as a child. It made perfect sense for him to yeah. want to light it his brother on fire.
1: That story, But if anybody else does an Inferno match, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like, who else was caught on fire by his brother killing his parents and him, and him um, in this big Inferno to, you know, and then find out later on that you Know his manager is actually his dad and his stepdad, and all this other stuff that
0: happened. So it is what it is. Um, the last and final gimmick match on my list, uh, is the Boiler Room Brawl 1996 SummerSlam, um, Undertaker Mankind. This specific gimmick match for me is it's one of my earliest memories of a you know, like I just raw beat them up, like watching live. I remember watching this live on pay-per-view in 1996. You know what I mean? Like the story and then the buildup and then, uh, Paul Bear turning on Taker at the end. Cause the whole purpose was you had to fight your way out of the broiler room, beat the absolute shit out of your opponent, make it into the arena and into the ring and then secure the urn from Paul Bear And, uh, the double cross urn was one of the things featured on uh the forbidden or the hidden treasure show or whatever. That was on a that was one of the things that was featured on that show on the Undertaker's episode was because it was so important in that match because it was the very end, he's getting there, and then at the very last minute, Paul Bear turns on the Undertaker, hits him with the urn, and then hands it to mankind, and that's the symbolism of him turning on Taker and becoming with Mankind, but that was also a huge turn of events, too, because that was one of the first time in his entire career that The Undertaker was seen as a face. Like It was almost like he wasn't the bad guy anymore. He, you almost felt bad for him. Uh, what are your reflections, if you will, of the Boiler Room Brawl for SummerSlam in 1996?
1: So this match, I'm glad you brought this up as one of the last ones, is, to me, this match is a Mankind match because that's where Mankind belongs, the Boiler Room. Dusty Rhodes belonged in the bull rope matches uh, that we haven't talked about. Nikita Koloff belonged in the Just Russians. for the record, I
0: do have strap matches on my list. But goodness gracious, Bobby Mack, we've been talking for 90 minutes now.
1: That's why we're going to have a part two.
0: Do you want to have a part two? Do you want to have bring this back and do a second yeah, part yeah, to it?
1: Yeah, I definitely think we should. Um, but yeah, so Dusty with the bull rope. Uh, Mankind with the bull, boiler room, Nikita Koloff with the Russian strap, uh, Wahoo McDaniel with the Indian strap. You um, go, Nikita. Nikita also had the Russian chain. Uh, Junkyard Dog had a chain uh, match. Um, you know, there's so many matches. Even Dusty, going back to the um, the bunkhouse matches, like those were his. Um, there's so many matches I think that are associated with the performer in the match. Like they are the master of this match, the master of the bull rope match, Dusty Rhodes, the master of the Russian chain uh, collar, Nikita Koloff, the master of the Indian strap, Wahoo McDaniel. I feel like when we go back in this conversation and we talk about Hell in the Cell, Undertaker, that was his match. And eventually him and Triple H shared the title of that being their match until, you know, now it's again, Prostitutionalized where everybody's in that match. I feel like there's certain matches that people owned. And you could say the Hardys with the ladders and the Edge and Christian with the chairs um, and the Dudley. That was almost like an Avengers style uh, come together because you had the Hardys winning all these ladder matches. You had the Dudley's famous for all these table matches. You had Edge and Christian famous for doing the Chicago uh, with the chairs. All of a sudden, like the Avengers, all three of these come together; these three powers, and you have this huge match. This is the type of match I feel like the boiler room uh, example. This is the match where if Mick Foley had a long enough feud with somebody, then it needs to be, "Let's go to the boiler room and finish this thing." You know, it's it that's that's what I feel like the boiler room match is and was and should be. Um, can so Sam what Rock- you're saying
0: is that with a good enough story, you could build up and have a payoff match where it builds up to something like this
1: exactly in the feud there you know um what was it ken shamrock had the um the
0: lion's den match
1: yeah lion's den again this is matches that are fitting these guys and if they bring it out you know it's special and i'll like point out like somebody like finn balor when balor used to bring out the demon it was a big deal yeah it was huge so i feel like again this is where they need to go and like Bray Wyatt for his, that swamp thing that he does or whatever it is that he did with Orton and he did with, um, uh, Stroman, uh, and- the
0: Wyatt family, Bobby Mack, we did an entire series about the shield and then the Wyatt family and then the shield versus the Wyatt family. Like we had an entire series about this and you're like, you know, the swamp thing that Bray Wyatt did. Are you kidding me? I'm not getting
1: paid to put Bray Wyatt over.
0: You're not a Bray Wyatt's not getting paid to put Bray Wyatt over. Oh, Ohio! you see what I did there? That's yeah, what's, that's what's topical, but yeah, it's like he's again, making movies now.
1: Uh, there's some matches that are attached to certain characters that they shouldn't leave those characters to leave those people. And this is one of those matches. Was it a great match? No, uh, was it memorable because it was like one of the first? Yes, uh, do I want to see another one? Not unless uh, Noelle Foley has it on her, um, um. My fans page or whatever it is.
0: Just because you have people's cell phone numbers and you can text them does not mean you can name drop them on the episode, Bobby. That is the most like...
1: She's going to have an OnlyFans page up.
0: Noelle Foley has an OnlyFans?
1: Starting June 6th.
0: How do you know that? We are one hour, 31 minutes and 40 seconds in this episode and now Bobby Mac has made three inappropriate comments.
1: That's not inappropriate. She announced it.
0: I guess this is a news outlet, I'm so I I'm guess technically that works. I'm putting her over lord bobby um okay so i agree i think we need to do a part two to this That's a
1: great title from now on what? lord bobby
0: lord bobby oh god how does your head fit the, the, through the door frames of your house everything's bigger in texas so does that mean the door frames are bigger too so your head gets through them uh
1: yeah just barely though
0: okay i i agree we need to do a part two to this um i'm going to uh let you sign off and do your thing. I'm going to send you some messages. Let's figure out a good day in the next 24 to 48 hours, maybe Thursday. And uh, let's plan to uh, to sign on and do a, a little bit longer. Because I think there's some stuff. We didn't talk about any bull rope matches. We didn't talk about any strap matches. We didn't talk about any pole matches. We didn't talk about the golden wrestling that is the Punjabi prison match. There's Uh, so many.
1: Talk about those old school matches. The mini matches, the ladies matches, the giant matches, like those are all considered that point in time, gimmick matches back in the day.
0: The battle royals, the uh three, four, five man tag matches. Like you were saying, there's so much to talk about. So uh plug your stuff and let's sign off on this one and we'll get back together and figure out when part two of this is happening.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Uh so Yellow Shoe Guy, you can definitely follow me on TikTok. Uh, almost up to 3,000 followers. If you guys can get me over the top, I would appreciate it. Uh, one day I want to get paid for that stuff. Uh, not today though. Don't be um, all. Yeah, we're also on Twitch uh, on the Yellow Shoe Guy. You can watch me play video games, mainly Grand Theft Auto, where you might recognize this shirt. Um, and also, I just got WWE 2K22, so I'm learning all the ropes on that. No pun intended. Um, but yeah, follow me on any of those things. Anywhere you look for me me, uh, Yellow Shoe Guy. Sometimes if you can't find me, drop one of the L's in yellow and you'll be able to find me then. I did learn how to spell in Tennessee. Speaking of Tennessee, Will, it's all up to you.
0: Well, first things first, make sure you follow everybody on the Smack Raw Podcast Network at Smack Raw on Twitter. Make sure you follow the Kai Tai Show on Twitter as well. Uh, RN, follow him as the Rewind, the, the magnificent co-host there with Kyle. So... You ready, uh, you ready, Bobby? You ready? Here it comes. Uh-oh. Now, as we close another episode of Botchbots and Share Shots, I want to take a minute and thank you for listening. I remind you to go wherever you do anything on the internet Facebook, Instagram, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Twitter. Literally, you have all the options. Remember to like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, but then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling us how great we are, how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm. It helps us find new listeners. If you're feeling really generous and you want to be one of those VIP people, head over to Patreon.com and donate to the cause. Donate to the Smack Draw Podcast Network. You get some swag. We get some fantastic guests. It's a win-win. As always, I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray. The man standing here with me right now, imitating everything I do, is my co-host extraordinaire. His opinions are his alone and not of ours, the Smite Toral Podcast Network, or Botch Spots and share Shots. But I like him anyways. I keep him around. Why the hell not? Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping by and talking about some wrestling. Bye. Bye. Botch Spots and share Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Botch Spots and share Shots on all platforms to make sure we're here, here on Botch, Botch, and Chair Shots, one of the hottest podcasts out here, definitely from the spotlight. DJ uh, Savage, Representing second takeover, all day, and Botch, Botch, and Chair Shots, check Jeff Savage!